0: Three, two, one, oh my goodness, good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day, my name is Zach Shomler. this is a Strong Opinion Sports, episode 413, welcome in, uh, fun episode today, I gotta get a haircut man, I- I'm ready to buzz my head again, my hair is already so long that it's, I feel like it can get messed up just a little bit, and that's, to me that's unacceptable, too long I'm ready to buzz my hair once again. Uh, I it, it was pretty scary the first time, but now I'm like, now nah, I'm just going to shave it forever. I, just, I don't like having hair on my head. It's so annoying. Uh, here's something fun. I talked about this last episode. They're a sponsor again today. I am going to debate a turkey. What does that look like? Hey, you can find out. On November 22nd, I, uh, next Monday, I'm putting out a video making my Thanksgiving Day picks. That is where I am debating a turkey. Mr. Jermaine Birdbrain. Gobblestone again like i've always wanted to do that never i fully realized how much i wanted to do it but now it's happening you can watch it next monday uh that's all happening because hisense is sponsoring this episode hisense is a tv company they have the hisense u6 uled tv the ultimate big game tv it's fantastic i have a hisense literally right next to me it is currently uh the monitor for my audio setup now right now uh now and running through the end of the year, Hisense has a 100-day no-regrets guarantee that offer—again, it's been extended through the end of the year. So Hisense is so confident in their product that for 100 days after buying it, if you decide you don't like it, they will give you your money back, a full refund. If you are in the market for a new TV, check out the Hisense U6 ULED TV. I am a part of the Hisense Turkey Bowl, you can go to the Hisense USA Instagram account. They've got all kinds of fun stuff going on there. They've got Joe McHale's there doing stuff. They've got voting and just go check out the Hisense USA Instagram account. That is the the Hisense Turkey Bowl. And that is why I will be debating a turkey, making Thanksgiving Day picks next Monday on November 22nd. Thank you so much, Hisense. Really appreciate it. Love the sponsor. And I like their TV. They didn't ask me to say this, but I bought one myself. It really is great. I, I legitimately use it for everything. And uh, I highly recommend high sense TVs. I-, I gesture with my hand to the left because it's to the left of me. All right, let's talk about football. On Monday night football, the San Francisco 49ers beat the Rams <laughs> 31-10. to What? Yeah, the 49ers dominated. A- and right now, before we dive into this game even further, I want to play a clip and, frankly, I want to clown on myself. I cut it down a bit. It's 40 seconds long. It shows you where my expectations were going into this game. I think it's pretty funny. Take a listen. Monday night football, game number eight, the Rams at the 49ers. Here's the question. Will the Rams win, or will they blow out the 49ers? Like, Will they just win, or will they win by, like, 30 points? Because I worry that 49ers coach Kyle Shannon is actually going to get fired. He could actually get fired after this year. I'm like, ah, the 49ers look bad every week, and— I would be absolutely shocked if the Rams lost this game to the 49ers on Sunday. They got Von Miller. They got momentum. They're excited. There's a lot of energy in that organization. And uh, I mean, Kyle Shanahan could use a win here over a really good Rams team on Monday night. Oh, my goodness, Zach. That was horrible. <laughs> what? I got it so wrong. I just did not. I mean, this is why I love the NFL. When Alabama plays New Mexico State, and they did, by the way, on Saturday, there's no doubt who's going to win. In fact, in college football, they even have a special word for it. They call it an upset. It happens so rarely. It's a big event. Oh my gosh, this team upset that team. Have you watched the NFL this year? Every week, there's like five what college football would call upsets. That's the NFL. Anybody... Can beat anybody. You never know what's gonna happen. You never really can. Ex- you think you know, and then you end up looking like me, saying, "If the Rams, the only way they're, gonna, the only way this game's gonna play out is the Rams winning. And if they don't win, they might be a blowout." I did not see this coming at all, and that is why I absolutely love NFL football. There is no sport like the NFL. So the 49ers had a great day. The Rams did not. And I want to start by talking about the 49ers. They definitely. Earned the spotlight. The way they won this game is the way that the Rams went to a Super Bowl a couple years ago. They ran the ball 42 times for 155 yards in this game. I guess 44 for 156 if you count Jimmy Garoppolo scrambling. Uh, No, they ran the ball well and played really good defense. And that is a great recipe for success for the 49ers. The game plan on Monday night did not put very much trust in the 49ers quarterback Jimmy garoppolo he was 15 for 19 with 182 yards passing two touchdowns and no interceptions zero that's a perfect day for jimmy g i mean get the ball out of his hands very quickly do not expect too much of him but a game plan like that jimmy g can execute that perfectly slants intermediate routes running the ball heavy play action it's a perfect game plan for jimmy g i think kyle shanahan the 49ers head coach, feels feels a little bit limited by Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, that's why they drafted Trey Lance to replace him, number three overall. But the reality is that if you don't ask for too much from Jimmy G, let him be a distributor, run the ball, play good defense, he can win, and he has won a lot in his career. That was the perfect Jimmy G game plan. Third and 13, do not throw the ball downfield, try a screen pass to George Kittle, that kind of stuff where you're not asking Jimmy G to win you the game by himself. And when you don't do that, he often does actually win. So interesting stuff there. I'm curious how that plays out and what that, how that influences the way the 49ers play the rest of the year. If they play that way, they could win a lot of games. Run the ball, play opportunistic defense, and just don't ask for too much from Jimmy Garoppolo, your quarterback. Now, I want to give a really big shout out to Debo Samuel. He is listed as a wide receiver. Now, he's not really a wide receiver. I would call him an athlete. They put him out at wide receiver. They put him in the backfield at running back. The more ways you can find to get Debo Samuel the ball, the better. He had two touchdowns against LA. He had five catches for 97 yards and a touchdown. He had a couple big catches on third down. Hit a massive 40-yard touchdown catch on fourth and five. I love it. He ran the ball five times for 36 yards and another touchdown. He's not a running back. He's not a receiver. He's not a tight end. He's just kind of an athlete. And I love that. That is the direction the game is going. You will see in the next decade, the lines are blurring between tight end and receiver and running back. You're going to have guys who are just athletes. And in college, they even call them athletes. We're not there yet in the NFL, but you're going to have guys who move all over the field. And do all kinds of stuff. Debo Samuel is one of those guys who is just like, we don't care what position he's in. Let's just get him the ball. Because the ball in Debo Samuel's hands is a good thing. And he had a ton of yards, two touchdowns. Fantastic. Now the Rams. Oh boy, the LA Rams. Uh, The Rams have been dominated two weeks in a row. Uh, They lost badly to Tennessee. And now they got dominated by the 49ers. It's not good. And I think the whole conversation, I am not really here to I don't buy into the, the 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 argument that it was all Matthew Stafford's fault in Detroit. Like look at the Lions now. They're 0-8 and 1. The Detroit Lions were never a good franchise that Matthew Stafford was holding back. That doesn't that argument doesn't work for me. And I, and I still don't blame Matthew Stafford for the lack of success while he was there in Detroit. But man, I have to acknowledge it. Like it's getting interesting. There are people out there, Matthew Stafford doubters, who feel really good right now, and are like, "They're they're telling me like I told you so. I told you so. I told you Matthew Stafford was a problem for years in Detroit." And I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, slow down, slow down." When you talk that fast, you're probably crazy. And I do it too, but fair enough. <laughs> um, I look, I, I just, I just want to acknowledge that. Because man, the, the more the Rams struggle, the louder that group of people gets. And I mean, I, 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 here's a fun, again, I don't believe in this reality, this future, but hypotheticals are fun to me. Imagine if that is how the rest of the year goes for the Rams. They traded away their future. They, they got Matthew Stafford. They traded for Von Miller. They traded for Odell Beckham Jr. Like actually even funnier, let's throw Odell Beckham Jr. into the mix. Imagine if the Rams just are terrible the rest of the year, right after they immediately traded for Odell Beckham Jr. Because <laughs> oh! the, the Rams now have two people, Odell and Matthew Stafford, who have gotten a reputation for, to some people, for not being good enough to allow their team to win. And I don't believe in the future that the Rams are going to be terrible the rest of the year. But... Hey, it's the only time I can talk about it is when they've lost two games in a row badly. Like, next week when they probably beat like I, said, I gotta buy a week—when they beat the Packers in two weeks, then my whole, like, this this fun, possible future is gonna be—you you can't talk about it, so I might as well talk about it now while well, I still can. What if the Rams are bad the rest of the year? <laughs> what? That would be crazy and fun and interesting, and the, the Stafford doubters would get louder, the Odell haters would get louder— Wow. I don't think that's going to happen, but interesting stuff there. On the very first play of the game, the Rams threw a five-yard hitch to OBJ. It felt like a statement to me. The Rams were like, we are going to get this guy the ball. Now, uh, unfortunately, as the game went on and the Rams got down by more and more points and they had to run a hurry-up offense to try to get points quickly, uh, they just took OBJ out of the game. He doesn't know the playbook well enough yet. They had to huddle, actually, to tell him the play and what to do. It would have just slowed them down. I, I think, look, it's fine. They took him out. It's it's one game. Uh, well, before we talk about the future of the Rams, Rams quarterback Matthew Stafford was 26 for 41 passing, 243 yards he had, one touchdown, and two, two interceptions. Interception number one was on a deep ball to OBJ. I'm really not sure what Stafford was thinking like You know, even if Odell had kept running, which he slowed down it didn't, I don't know what Stafford liked about that play because OBJ was double covered. So I I will never really understand. Like he threw the ball nowhere near OBJ. It was just a, like, it it was kind of honestly felt like a YOLO ball where he's like, I'm going to, like he was forcing the ball to try to get it to Odell to make him be confident or make a statement. I don't know. It was weird. And it he wasn't open. It made no sense. Now the second interception, I just felt kind of bad for Matthew Stafford. It was a pick six on a screen pass where, he threw the ball to Rams tight end, Tyler Higby. It bounced off of Tyler Higby's hands and got grabbed by Jimmy Ward, taken for a pick six. Shout out to Jimmy Ward, by the way. Jimmy Ward actually had both of Matthew Stafford's interceptions. Great job for him. But the Rams were off in every way you can imagine in this game. They had drops. They had bad throws. I mean, Cooper Cup had a drop, which never happens on third and four, third and four, third and five, one of the, a third and short, he had a drop where though I was a little behind him, but. Cooper Cup catches that. I watch it every week. It didn't do it here. Uh, they had a bad snap where the center literally didn't even get the ball to Stafford. He like rolled it two inches and grabbed it. Illegal touching. You can't do that. But it was that kind of night. Everything that could go wrong for the Rams did go wrong. In the second half, the Rams had three, three and outs. Punt, punt, and another punt. Uh, Stafford had a embarrassing illegal forward pass where he ran way past the line of scrimmage and then still threw the ball like, you can't do that, buddy. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, what are you doing? He looked out of sorts. Nothing looked good for the Rams on Monday night. Now, hey, if you're a Rams fan, I I would not panic. It's all good. Here's the argument you can make. The Rams were adjusting. Robert Woods got hurt. You had receivers doing... You know, you had receivers in roles that they aren't normally in. Odell is new. He's learning. Von Miller's new. He's not fully, like, I I just felt like nothing was good yet. They're still figuring stuff out. And the Rams have a bye week next week, time to adjust, time to prepare. In two weeks, they play the Green Bay Packers. That'll be fun and interesting. But I think that the bye week could not have come at a more perfect time for the Rams. They need it, and it will help the Rams all get on the same page. They need a bye week. They need some time to go to practice and say, OBJ, learn the playbook. Let's get on the same page. Let's make a plan. Van Jefferson, you're in a new role here. What's that going to look like for you? And I just think it's going to really help them get on the same page this bye week coming up for the Rams. Don't panic or give up on the year if you're a Rams fan. You've had two embarrassing losses in a row, but now you have time, downtime to adjust. Okay, I have four... I have four final notes about this game I want to share. Uh, the first two are short. The second two, uh, the, the third one's longer. It's fun. And the fourth one, let's we'll get in. Number one, the Rams ran a horrible, horrible fake field goal pass. I There's not a lot to say here. It was just terrible. They were down 21 to seven. I thought they they could use the field goal, like some momentum there. And instead, the holder reverse pivots, tries to throw the ball. He did complete the pass, but it was for like a three-yard gain on fourth and whatever. It, they, they didn't. It didn't do what they needed, and I, I, there's not a lot to say there. It was just a terrible, terrible fake field goal pass. Now, number two, Kwan Williams had a crazy interception. Now, it got called. It got called back for uh, because he got called for pass interference, so it didn't count. But uh, Kwan Williams caught the ball with his butt. There, there's no other way to say it. And I, I could have said it way more raunchy than that. Look it up on YouTube whether it counted or not. It's a great catch. So to catch the ball. Like, securing it (laughs) in your private areas, man. Oh, my gosh. What a uh, great catch. I mean, again, didn't count, but an all-time great catch. Didn't really hurt anybody. Um, The the Jimmy, what is it, the the Robert Hunt play from Thursday night. By the way, it's kind of interesting. Like, the week NFL Week 10 started with a crazy victory where the Dolphins destroyed the Ravens. And you're like, what? And then it ended with (laughs) the 49ers dismantling the Rams. Just like start to finish. NFL week 10 was really, really crazy. Number three, it's a longer one. Uh, this will be a, so listen to what I'm saying. This is an intentional overreaction. It's a hypothetical, but I like that kind of stuff. I like to theorize, put my tinfoil hat on. It's fun. The 49ers I thought have proven they did on Monday night. They proved that they can win with Jimmy G at quarterback. Like They've, they've done it, and they would do a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. They've already, they didn't need to prove that, but they did it again. They're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, this team is still very, very capable, even with Jimmy Garoppolo as our starting quarterback. So here's the hypothetical. What if the 49ers had drafted Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase instead of a quarterback, Trey Lance number three overall? I don't know that I would have done that, but it's a fun conversation. Now, I don't think Jamar Chase would work as well with Jimmy Garoppolo and his skill set. Like, Jimmy G's deep ball isn't great, and Jamar Chase is at his best with the chemistry he has with Joe Burrow, so I don't think Jamar Chase would be as good for the 49ers. I think Panay Sewell is an interesting conversation, actually. He's the left tackle for the Lions, like... That You can always use another left tackle. <laughs> you're, you're never going to go, wait, hold on. We have too many good offensive linemen. Stop. No, yeah, I, I think that would have been an interesting move. But Kyle Pitts is the one where I'm like, oh, boy, that would be interesting. Imagine if Jimmy G was throwing to both Kyle Pitts and George Kittle. That'd be a ton of intermediate throws. That'd be a great fit. Kyle Pitts and George Kittle on the same team catching passes from Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, That would be an interesting thing to see and and kind of sounds like a a Madden team. That sounds kind of fun. Now, I'm not saying I would do any of that stuff. Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Pene Sewell. Uh, In my opinion, Jimmy Garoppolo is limited and Kyle Shanahan doesn't want a quarterback he has to be careful with. Number, you know, Jimmy G is regularly injured, Uh, I think he's at his best when he throws the ball like 19, 20 times a game. Kyle Shanahan doesn't want a guy who's got to tiptoe around with a game plan. And it is way too early to give up on Trey Lance. It is widely known he is a project. He's a guy with a ton of potential who's going to take a lot of time to develop. We all knew that going into the year, going into the draft. But I can't help but wonder, what is the future for Trey Lance? Is it a... The Rodgers route, Aaron Rodgers sat on the bench for three years. And he, you know, by the time Rodgers became the starting quarterback in Green Bay, his throwing motion was totally different. And I could see a reality where Trey Lance goes, I need to tweak my throwing motion. Maybe, you know, instead of holding the ball this way, uh, which is like pointing straight out and a lot more sidearm where he gets batted a lot, he might make changes there. Uh, Patrick Mahomes sat out for a year behind Alex Smith. Alex Smith was a good, competent quarterback who had limitations. And Kansas City said, After one year, we're moving on. Maybe Jimmy Garoppolo is Alex Smith here. Jimmy Garoppolo is the limited quarterback that this talented young guy sitting behind learning from, and next year he'll take over. I don't know. I don't know when Trey Lance is going to play, but it's interesting to me. Like, will he tweak his throwing motion? Was he even the right pick? Will he be good? How hungry is Trey Lance right now? Is he working really hard to become the next franchise quarterback of the 49ers? Meanwhile, by the way, Mac Jones is lighting it up for the Patriots. He was like, I think it was the 15th pick. I believe mid round, first round pick Mac Jones, rookie quarterback who has been fantastic. And you got Trey Lance not playing again. We all knew it would take time, but a lot of these are interesting questions that I have to ask. And in time, they will all be answered is basically the, the real question here. And the biggest one is, was Trey Lance the right pick? with a number three overall pick in the 2021 NFL draft. We will find out in time. Okay, note number four, the final one. I have heartbreaking news. Uh, I gave up on Peyton and Eli. I gave up on, I just stopped watching their Monday Night Football broadcast anymore. Uh, I'm not doing it. Uh, They are not giving me what I want. I do not want guests. I don't care what Jon Stewart or Phil Mickelson think of football. I don't. Hey, you know what I want? How about this? How, uh, here's a here's a crazy, crazy thought. Imagine if it was Peyton Manning and Eli Manning talking over Monday Night Football about football. Oh, too bad we don't get that. We barely we have Draymond Green. I lo, like I love Draymond Green. I don't care what Draymond Green thinks about football. I want Peyton and Eli talking about the game, and it's it just it happens sometimes. I I bet the Philip Rivers segment was good, but it's not happening enough for me. To keep investing my time in sitting there watching <laughs> boring conversation, so um, I started the game on Monday Night Football two hours late. I watched the regular ESPN broadcast. I fast forwarded through the commercials. I recorded it. Uh, I fast forwarded through the bad commentary on Monday Night Football. Uh, I basically like just watched only the plays and kind of I watched replays because I like doing that. But I, I don't. Man, it, it sucked. But it's true, and I, I've given up on watching Peyton and Eli. Unfortunately, I didn't want to, I wanted that to be awesome, but they're not giving me what I want. They're not, they're not regularly enough talking about football. If Peyton and Eli want to interview people, that's fantastic. Do it somewhere else. Don't do it over the top of Monday night football. I want to watch the game and hear Peyton and Eli talk about the game. That's what, like when Russell Wilson was on and they're like breaking down coverage, that's fantastic, but it doesn't happen enough for me. And so I just—I pulled the plug. I'm, I'm a very quick, like, if you're not giving me what I want, I move on. And Peyton and Eli's broadcast of Monday Night Football was not giving me at all. A little bit, but 75, 80, 90% of the time even, I wasn't getting what I wanted from that. So I've moved on and decided uh, a couple small good moments of Philip Rivers aren't worth watching an entire game with them. Talk about mostly stuff that's not related to football. All right, guys. My name is Zach Schaumler. I am going to take a short break. I will be right back. Back. All right. We are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Welcome in. Uh, there are a couple things from last weekend I want to cover that I'm late getting to, but like, you know, I i don't know, man. I, I did all the work to watch them and prepare the topics. And I'm not going to not cover them. It's been hard. I've been trying to sleep this week. Uh, I've been trying to do other stuff, and I got to prioritize NFL football. That's my number one topic, but I want to talk about college football. I want to talk about Formula One. I think, uh, Part of my problem with college football, why I'm so late, it's Wednesday now, you probably won't hear this till Thursday, is, uh, you know, I just, I'm a bit ambitious, I, I watch way too many games, like, I didn't watch Auburn and Texas A&M until last night, which is Tuesday night, and I, I understand, like, dang, I don't know, I just, I, I get ahead of myself, and I, I put way too much on my plate, and I, it's hard to fulfill all the stuff I want to talk about. Anyway, so, I'm a little late, I've been slammed doing other stuff, I gotta prioritize football, but on Sunday... We had the Brazilian Grand Prix. First of all, dude, Brazil looks beautiful. I got to get over there to Brazil someday. Oh, my gosh. It looks fantastic. Now, the race was also fantastic. Lewis Hamilton won. Max Verstappen got second. And I got to say, thank God for Lewis Hamilton. I am so happy that Lewis Hamilton won this race. Him winning... Keeps things interesting in Formula 1. So I just want to give a special thank you to Lewis Hamilton. Thank you for this weekend. It was fun to watch him. And I'm glad, like, he makes things interesting. I, I, you know, I would say that I am rooting for Max Verstappen to win this year in Formula 1. I, I'm, I'm a Max fan. I like Red Bull. I think it'd be cool to see things shaken up. But you know what I want way more than I want Max to win? I want a good finish. And, and even if Lewis Hamilton wins the... F1 world title. I'll be happy as long as he gets challenged. Like, whether Max wins or Lewis wins, what I don't want is a blowout. I would be unhappy if Max Verstappen won by like, you know, if he won next weekend and the race, the competition was over, I'd be disappointed. I want this to come down to the final race. And uh, now what Lewis did over the weekend, it's incredible. It deserves a ton of praise between an engine penalty and a penalty where He broke technical regulations for having a rear wing DRS gap larger than 85 millimeters. Lewis had to overcome a 25-place grid penalty. Uh, He got disqualified from qualifying, so he started last during sprint qualifying on Saturday. During sprint qualifying, he went from last, 20th, because there's only 20 cars on the grid. He went from 20th, last, to 5th, and then after that, he still got another penalty, got five more I uh, got a five more place grid penalty. So during the race, Lewis started in 10th and still won. It was incredible driving. Uh, yes, he has an amazing car. Everyone's going to say, well, it's the car, not Lewis. And I, if I, I don't know, I don't want like, I, I get it a little bit. Like I, I feel bad. Fernando Alonso is talking about how, you know, it's hard to compete against a guy because his car is so much better than me. And I get that. Like, I, I feel bad. Fernando Alonso is driving an Alpine. I would love to see what Fernando Alonso could do in a Mercedes, but what happened last weekend for Lewis Hamilton in Brazil required even more than a great car. It was incredible driving. I mean, Lewis was like a shark just hunting down overtake after overtake, and it, we need like a mashup of the Jaws music and the Formula One theme, like, done it. Done it, done it, done it, dun it, da, da 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 Like I really want that somehow. Like, cause I just every time I see Lewis hunting down, like he's just on the prowl, man. It's so cool to watch him uh do stuff like this where he has overtake after overtake after overtake. And one thing that really did help Lewis Hamilton early on was a safety car that brought the pack together. He got a good start, got up up in the field a little bit, and then uh Yuki Sonoda crashed into Lance Stroll. He, Yuki Sonoda was way too aggressive, taking the inside on a turn that really wasn't his. Uh, by the way, there were two DNFs in this race. Lance Stroll did not finish. Neither did Daniel Ricciardo. Uh, but when the safety car happened because of Yuki Sonoda, Max was way out in front, had a big gap, and was way in the lead. And the safety car slowed him down. And now, would Lewis have still passed Max? I mean, he passed with a lot of laps to go. maybe. Probably, Uh, but it's just—it's funny to me how frequently the Red Bull sister team driver for Alpha Tower, Yuki Tsunoda, keeps hurting the Red Bull main team. I'm like, man, if I'm Red Bull, I want to just strangle Yuki Tsunoda. I'd be so tired of his his mistakes to keep hurting the main team. Now, I actually thought the best overtake of the weekend was actually Lewis Hamilton passing Lando Norris to go from... Sixth place to fifth place right at the end of sprint qualifying on Saturday. It wasn't on Sunday, so I think it gets overlooked and not mentioned, but oh my gosh, did anyone see the overtake? It was, it was, it just happened. It was so quick and you're like, oh my gosh, wow. And that really helped to us. Like imagine if he had to start in 11th rather than 10th on Sunday. Uh, it was an amazing move. I also got to say in Brazil, Max Verstappen started in second. I am convinced that starting in second is a way better spot to start the race than in first because you get the inside of turn one it's a left-hand turn in Brazil uh, I think Ayrton Senna and Alan Pross talked about that a long time ago it just it it's kind of weird how in Brazil they make you start on the right side uh which gives you the outside of turn one in Brazil and I, I just don't know that that's actually an advantage I'm like I, I do, would you maybe rather be second in Brazil am I the only one who thinks that I'm like I don't know that that's um Anyway, here are the top 10 finishes, the points finishes from Brazil. Lewis got first, Max got second, then Valtteri Bottas got third for Mercedes, Sergio Perez got fourth for Red Bull. On top of that, he also stole fastest lap from Lewis. Uh, The the Ferrari drivers got fifth and sixth, Charles Leclerc got fifth, Carlos Sainz got sixth, seventh was Pierre Gasly, he got six points for Alpha Tauri, eight and nine are both Alpine drivers, Esteban Ocon. Got 8th for 4 points. Ninth place was Fernando Alonso for 2 points. Uh, Alpine and AlphaTauri are still tied after Brazil. They were tied in the F1 standings uh, with 106 points last weekend or last race. Now they are tied with 112 points each. That battle for 5th place between AlphaTauri and Alpine is getting really interesting. It's also kind of sad. Basically, Pierre Gasly is fighting alone against the two Alpine drivers. Pierre is not getting much help from his rookie teammate, Yuki Tsunoda, who's only scored 20 points the entire year. I guess it's not horrible to be, you know, in 14th as a rookie, your first year in Formula One. I don't want to be too harsh to Yuki Tsunoda, although, man, he's definitely not had a great year. But the battle in fifth is really interesting. Pierre Gasly's alone. He's got 92 points on the year. I guess, I wonder if his back is sore from carrying the AlphaTauri team. Like, imagine how much AlphaTauri would be squarely in fifth if they got any real help from their number two driver uh but you know instead of that cuz right now you look at Fernando Alonso and Esteban Ocon they're both contributing about 50 60 points each it's pretty even but that alpha towery team is it's Pierre Gasly alone against the two alpine drivers and uh i am just really curious to see how that finishes out does alpha towery get 5th does alpine get 5th uh it's just a really interesting storyline there a fun battle now the battle for third in the constructors' standings After this race, Ferrari is pulling away uh, from McLaren. Ferrari got fifth and sixth here. McLaren driver Lando Norris had a bad start in Brazil. He got a puncture on lap one, put him all the way at the back of the grid. He was actually lucky to even stay in the race. He had to finish the entire lap, basically, with a busted tire. He did get 10th place and one point uh, in Brazil. The other McLaren driver, Danny Rick, got a power issue, did not finish the race. Uh, That's a little bit concerning for Mercedes. It's a Mercedes-powered team. Uh, but that you know that put McLaren way behind in the standings. Now, here are the standings right now in Formula 1. In the driver's standings, you have Max Verstappen, who leads with 332.5 points. Lewis Hamilton is in second with 318.5 points. In 30th, out there, Botas with 203 points. In fourth, you have Sergio Perez with 178 points. I feel like I should mention that, but I really only care about the battle for first and second between Max and Lewis in the driver's standings. Um, in the team or constructor standings, you have... Mercedes is in first with 521.5 points. Red Bulls in second with 510.5 points. In third, you got Ferrari with 287.5 points. And fourth, you have McLaren with 256 points. It's not completely over for McLaren, but I, I'm, at this point, I'd be surprised if McLaren does get third in Formula One just because of the lead that Mercedes that Ferrari has. And it's not like you need 25 points to really get ahead. And I don't see a race where McLaren's going to win, and Ferrari is going to have, you know, such a bad finish where the gap is up. I just don't see – it's going to be really, really difficult for McLaren to make up these points and, and, you know, compete for third now because they're not getting. They're not going to get first or second or third even or fourth. I just don't see a podium finish for either team. I think Mercedes and Red Bull are so, you know, secure at the top, unless something crazy happens, which it always could. I don't want to count them out completely, but it's going to be – Dang near impossible for McLaren to make up as many points as they're behind now because of Brazil getting only one point and having one guy DNF uh, again. Alpha Tauri they're tied right now with 112 points. They're competing for fifth place. That's really interesting to me. Uh, there are three races left. You got Qatar this weekend coming up uh, on Sunday. Then you got Saudi Arabia, the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, uh, and then the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Now, if what happens in Bra- if what happened in Brazil happens in the next two races in Qatar and then the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. If Max gets second, Lewis gets first, neither one of them get fastest lap. Max's 14 point gap, it would be cut down to nothing. It'd be actually tied going into the final race. You would have Lewis and Max tied with 368.5 points to 368.5 points. They'd be tied going into the final race, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. That would be incredible. I want that to happen. Now, I got to say, it would be amazing, but I I actually think to have the final race decide the F1 title in that situation, I would actually give the advantage to Lewis. Lewis has won (laughs) many, many world titles. Uh, Max has not won. I think that situation is a little bit too big for Max, especially when you think about the fact that Max, uh, so does Lewis. I mean, there are a couple battles where, you know, I think of the times where Lewis Hamilton pushed off Alex Albin, the former Red Bull driver. So it's not like Lewis is impervious to emotional decision-making or, you know, making a mistake to win or or making maybe a move to shunt somebody and win a race. But I worry way more about Max Verstappen getting emotional and doing something uh, ridiculous to, you know, get himself in trouble. On lap 48 in Brazil, even, there's a big conversation right now. Did Max push Lewis off the track? Plus, on top of that, when, when Lewis was hunting down Max, I mean, Max was literally like swerving down the main straight, which you cannot do. And I worry that if the F1 title came down to the final race, I worry Max would make an emotional mistake that would hurt him. And it, you know, I watch the onboard. You can make a strong argument that Max had no intention of making the apex of that turn in Brazil and pushed Lewis wide. Mercedes has requested a review. I'm a Max fan. I worry that Max is going to get a penalty. I mean, I, I, I being objective and fair, I'm like ah, uh, it's really hard to defend you, Max. And he, and I love Max, but he does that stuff. He gets aggressive and I think emotional and makes mistakes. And I like him, but uh, that's a big weakness he has. And we'll see if anything comes to that. Maybe uh, Max will get a penalty for Qatar this weekend. Either way, we are heading towards an amazing finish in Formula 1. Max Verstappen versus Lewis Hamilton. Mercedes versus Red Bull. I cannot wait. To see how things play out in Formula One, it's going to be an incredible finish to the year, uh, and I hope you guys enjoy the upcoming race. We got three left: Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and then the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. Same location, but uh, it'll be really, really exciting to watch the way this year finishes up in Formula One. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, I'm a bit late, but like I don't know, it'll be comprehensive and interesting. So we will talk about college football next. My name is Zach Shomler. I will be. Right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. I want to talk about college football week 11. Last Saturday, first of all, I apologize. Uh, This is much later than I wanted. I think, honestly, my ambition got the best of me. You know, there's so many games going on. I want to talk about all of them and watch all of them, and I simply can't, and that's hard for me to accept. It takes a long time to watch a lot of football games. Here we are uh, Wednesday night. You'll hear this Thursday, which is, again, I apologize. I know it's way too late. I'm so sorry. Uh, Next week will be sooner. Regardless, though, uh, there are 11 things I want to talk about with college football week 11. Uh, That that just kind of happened by accident, by the way, the 11 and 11 thing. Number one is this. Kansas beat Texas in overtime 57-56. to This was very much unexpected. And very very cool. Kansas had not won a Big Twelve conference game in over two years, and they knock off Texas on the road. By the way, which is fantastic. And um, I don't I don't hate Texas, but it's kind of fun to watch their rabid fan base. Like, man, I, I just see so many parallels between Texas football and Tennessee football. They're both orange. They're both. Definitely overrated. they got a a massive fan base that's got really high expectations, and soon they will both be in the SEC. Now, there's a couple of cool things here. First of all, Kansas sophomore quarterback Jalen Daniels made his first ever college football start. Uh, He had a great day. He was 21 for 30, passing with 202 yards, three touchdowns plus a uh, touchdown running. He works with a quarterback coach. I really like Sam Fisher. Shout out to him. He's been on the show before, actually. Sam Fisher. Look him up on Instagram. Throw to win. He's a fantastic quarterback coach. I really, really like him. Uh, now Texas fought back in this game. Kansas was up in the uh, second half, forty-two to twenty-one in the third quarter, halfway through the third quarter, too. And then later, even that Kansas was up forty-nine to forty-two with a minute ten left. Texas fought back. They were able to score. Uh, and by the way, that's why you keep all three of your timeouts. They were able to uh, get a stop with a minute left, call all three timeouts, get the ball back, tie the game 49-49, forcing overtime. Now, here's what happened in overtime. Texas scored. They kicked an extra point. They took a 56-49 to lead. Kansas, in their opportunity with the ball, they scored a touchdown as well. They decided to go for two. They got it, and they won. Oh, I love it. I feel like you see so many games that end with a team taking a risk like that and not getting it. So the fact that Kansas got it, got the first win in, in the Big 12 Conference in over two years, that's fantastic. On top of all that, that by the way, the story does get even cooler. He's a, a fullback slash a tight end Kansas walk-on freshman, by the way, also from the state of Kansas. Jared Casey playing in his first ever game in college because somebody got hurt. He is who caught the game-winning Two point conversion, a freshman walk on from the state of Kansas playing in his first ever college football game. That's amazing to hear that and see that there's a great video of his parents uh, proudly celebrating him making that catch going like, oh, my gosh, that's our son. And it made me cry. Like, I'm not even kidding. I watched that on Saturday night and I bawled. I was like, that's so beautiful, that moment with his parents. So excited for him. Shout out to Jared Casey. He actually got a couple NIL deals after making that catch. Great for him. Uh, He does not have a scholarship, but he's making money, apparently, which is fantastic. Now, number two, we had a game between number 11 ranked Texas A&M against number 15 Ole Miss. Ole Miss won 29 to 19. Their offense, man, is so much fun to watch. If you haven't watched Ole Miss play yet, first of all, they got Matt Corral, who's probably going to be the first quarterback draft in the 2021 NFL draft. Uh, And on the TV broadcast, they literally had a counter in the corner to see how quickly Ole Miss would go between snaps snapping the football. I mean, they were literally running a play about every 10 seconds. I would, because I usually fast forward between every play. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do my 10 second fast forward because if I did it, I would literally miss the next Ole Miss play. That's how quickly their offense was moving. It was unreal. They had a great game. Uh, Ole Miss went up 15 to nothing at halftime. Now, Texas A&M made things interesting. They did fight back. They made it 15 to 13. Texas A&M did. And then A&M threw back-to-back interceptions. Both of them led to... Ole Miss touchdowns. In fact, the second one was just straight up a pick six. Uh, Ole Miss went on to win. You know, the the pick six gave them a twenty nine to thirteen lead. They won twenty nine to nineteen. Uh, Ole Miss ran the ball fifty six times in this game for two hundred and fifty nine yards. And uh, in two weeks, we get to see Ole Miss against Mississippi State. I am so excited. That's Lane Kiffen against Mike Leach. That's going to be a fantastic football game. Really, really cool to see. By the way, shout out to Ole Miss linebacker Chance Campbell. By the way, he is a Transfer out of Maryland. He leads the Ole Miss Rebels in tackles. He has 79 tackles in 10 games. That's ridiculous. He's being he's got a having a great year, playing crazy good. Uh Chance Campbell, learn the name. He's really, really cool to watch and fun to watch. A, a big 10 transfer playing in the SEC, playing fantastic football, trying to get himself a shot at the NFL. And uh Chance Campbell, shout out to you. You're having a great year. Number three. We we mentioned them. We might as well talk about it. Mississippi State. Uh, sorry for the the. Uh, I don't know why I did. That. I I don't know. I did that. I did that accent, and it was terrible. Don't know why I did that. Uh, Mississippi State. Mike Leach's team just had a crazy win. Uh, they beat number seventeen Auburn, forty three to thirty four. Here's the story. Um, Auburn was up twenty eight to three in this football game, and Auburn lost. What? Yeah. Mississippi State scored. 40 unanswered points, won the game 43 to 34. Like, what in the Falcon hell happened? Oh, my gosh. I don't know what's up with the score, 28 to 3. I don't know why it's cursed, but it appears like if you're up 28 to 3, you, you should never be confident because the Falcons were up that in the Super Bowl they lost. Here we have, there's a great meme out there where they show like the, uh, it was like the Animorphs logo where it was like Auburn slowly morphing into the Falcons logo and you're like, oh, no. It was a meltdown. Uh, Now, shout out to Mississippi State quarterback Will Rogers. The dude killed it. He had uh, 415 yards passing. He was 44 for 55, six passing touchdowns. I know a lot of people that have run Mike Leach's offense. I went to Washington State when Mike Leach was there. Got a lot of friends who played quarterback for him. Uh, That Mississippi State offense, that air raid that Mike Leach runs, is not easy to execute. And Will Rogers, like, round of applause. He was executing at a very, very high level on Saturday, and he shredded Auburn. Uh, I got to say, man, by the way, the quarterbacks in the ACC are so much better than they used to be. We're seeing like NFL level quarterback play in the SEC. Part of that's from Nick Saban, who said, you know, Nick Saban realized I got to have really good quarterbacks to win in college football. And then we're seeing it just throughout the SEC high level quarterback play. Matt Corral, Will Rogers, Alabama quarterbacks. It's everywhere. Joe Burrow at LSU a couple years ago. The SEC quarterbacks are so much better than they used to be. It makes the game way more fun. It makes them the premier conference to watch. I always thought that the only knock on the SEC was, well, they don't have the best quarterbacks. Now they have that, too. And uh, SEC football, look, a lot of people around the country hate it because they're tribal and regional. I got no loyalty to anybody, and I can admit it. SEC football is amazing to watch every single week. Now let's talk about a Big Ten team. Number four, Ohio State played. Number 19, Purdue Everybody was hyping up the potential upset. You know, oh, the spoiler makers instead of the Purdue Boilermakers, they are called the Purdue spoiler makers. They beat, you know, they upset Michigan State, they upset Iowa. Uh, nah, Ohio State was having none of that. Ohio State won 59 to 31. They were actually up 45 to 17 at halftime. Ohio State quarterback CJ Stroud had a fantastic game. He was 38, uh, sorry, 31 for 38 passing with five touchdowns and 361 yards. One of the better games C.J. Stroud has had during his uh, first year as a starter at Ohio State. Oh, now uh, we got to talk about Oklahoma. Number eight Oklahoma lost to number 13, Baylor. Baylor won 27 to 14. Baylor ran for 297 yards. Uh, Jerry Bohan and Baylor's quarterback, ran nine times for 107 yards. And two touchdowns. Now, here's the real story, in my opinion. Great win by Baylor, uh, but to me, the story was Oklahoma's inability to score. You know, we'll see. A lot of people, I, I'm sure, are praising Baylor's defense, and people, you know, people look for any opportunity to praise Baylor, and, and that's great. Not not that how do I even say that? Not that people got out of their way like nationally to praise Baylor, but I'm sure people were talking about how great Baylor's defense played. And in my mind, I I think the story really is just that Oklahoma got in their own way. Like, people love to praise defenses, but when an offense doesn't score, it's usually because they didn't execute. And that's what happened here. Oklahoma had, you know, their quarterback, Caleb Williams, had two really bad, ugly interceptions. One was a force into double coverage. One was a play where he was trying to throw the ball out of bounds, literally just didn't get enough on the ball. He was in the pocket. And if you're going to throw the ball away from the pocket, and not get you know a flag thrown for uh, intentional grounding. You have to make it at least land near a receiver. So he's trying to throw it out of bounds above a receiver's head. He literally just didn't get enough in the ball. It landed in bounds, got caught by a Baylor player, and got picked off. Uh, Oklahoma also missed two field goals. I think the real thing here, too, is that Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma's uh, head coach, who is a—he's an offensive genius. And, and what I love about Lincoln Riley is he's so good at play design, especially— Creative play design running the football. I thought Lincoln Riley had a bad game as a play color, just straight up. He kept trying to run play action and take deep shots, throwing the ball downfield. But the thing is, you have to earn that. To, To get a team, especially safeties, to bite on a play action fake, you have to run the ball and commit to running the football. That's how you get safeties to bite on a run fake. And I felt like. For whatever reason, Oklahoma refused to really commit to the running game. And Baylor played great, but Oklahoma was bad. And both can be true. Baylor had a great game, great win for them, but Oklahoma was not good. And you know they even for a while had to take out Caleb Williams and put in Spencer Rattler. He was four for six with like 36 yards, but Spencer Rattler couldn't score either. So eventually they put Caleb Williams back in the game in the fourth quarter. He did lead a touchdown drive. By far, that's the worst game I've seen um, Caleb Williams and Oklahoma look. With Caleb Williams at quarterback, I still think Caleb Williams is a future number one overall pick at quarterback. He's fantastic, but he had a bad game, and I thought Lincoln Riley as a play caller had a bad game. Regardless, uh, shout out to Baylor. Like both can be true again. Like I said, Baylor had a great game, and Oklahoma had a bad game. I think both statements are true, and uh, but if Oklahoma has a better game, I think they do win that football game. It's not like it's not like that was an unwinnable game for Baylor for Oklahoma, uh, but Baylor got him and. You know, Baylor was ready for Oklahoma to take advantage of their mistakes. Number six, Michigan beat Penn State 21-17. to I don't have a lot to say here. It's noteworthy. And here's what I want to say. I'm really sad that Michigan is not undefeated. You know, I, w- when Michigan was undefeated before they lost to Michigan State, I was hyping up this game like, oh, they still got to play Ohio State. They still got to play Penn State. And then they lost. And now that they're not undefeated, this game— which was a good game. I mean, I didn't watch it, but I I have to mention it. This game would have meant more, and I would have watched it if Michigan had still been undefeated. They weren't, so I just I was kind of you know like ah I remember looking forward to this game, and then I ended up not even watching it because it's just like I don't who cares. Michigan's not going to make it into the college football playoff. I'd be shocked if they did, uh, and just like a, if, they, if only if only they'd found a way to remain undefeated. Number seven, Alabama beat New Mexico State. Fifty-nine to three. So Alabama against New Mexico State is always my throwaway, like example for a bad matchup. I say it all the time. I'm like, it's better than Alabama New Mexico State. Well, we actually got to see that on Saturday. Actually, I didn't see that. I didn't watch this game. I'm not watching Alabama dominating New Mexico State. You can if you want. Uh, It's just kind of funny because I just you know I always mention that matchup. We actually got it on Saturday. Number eight, Cincinnati won. Uh, they beat South Florida 45-28. to 28. It's noteworthy because they're still undefeated. They're 10-0, although not a very impressive 10-0, in my opinion. More on that in a moment. Uh, now, shout out to Michigan State, by the way. They wore their neon green alternate uniforms. A lot of people were hating on the uniforms. Look, like, I think they're awesome. I like the neon green. I think it's cool. I actually like the old ones, too, with the neon green pants as well. You know, their action green was what they called that one. Um I don't know. I-, I thought Michigan State looked really good while they were beating Maryland. Uh, also, by the way, Michigan State is working on a apparently a 10-year, $95 million contract extension for their head coach, Mel Tucker. I guess they really do not want to lose Mel Tucker to LSU. I cannot blame them. And it's risky, but what's more of a risk, letting Mel Tucker leave your program or potentially overpaying a coach who's winning and doing very, very well? uh at your I mean I don't know I I, this is like Michigan State's opportunity to become a top dog I think and I don't know I I think that's even if you do the math that's less than 10 million a year which is a lot but I I don't know I just don't think I think that's honestly worth the money and if Michigan State wants to keep Mel Tucker as a part of their program they're gonna have to pay him that kind of money and they're making an offer it sounds like that will be competitive with, with whatever LSU is gonna offer and Mel Tucker why would I leave Michigan State for LSU when they're giving him a lot of money? They like him and he's comfortable there. So I can't blame either party for, I can't blame Mel Tucker for taking it. I can't blame Michigan State for offering it. I kind of like it. Okay, uh, now we got to talk about Florida. Florida almost lost to an FCS school, Samford. By the way, Samford led this game 42 to 35 at halftime. That should never, ever happen. Now, Florida did pull it around uh, or pull it around. Florida to pull it off. They won. Florida won 70-52. to But again, that should never happen. An SEC-level football team should never almost lose to even a group of five school, let alone FCS Samford. That's horrible. And apparently, Florida head coach Dan Mullen was literally celebrating after the game like nothing was wrong. It's like, "Ah, ah, no. You're an SEC football program. You're better than that. I don't know. Florida they're mulling over. Ah, you like that joke? Is that a pun? I don't even know what a pun is. So maybe that's a pun. Florida's mulling over whether they're going to fire Dan Mullen. <laughs> I don't even, I don't know, dude. Who cares? Having fun. Uh, I, I'm, I'm really interested though. Does Dan Mullen keep his job after this year? They lost to South Carolina. A terrible loss to Georgia. They're five and five. A bunch of ugly losses this year, including this ugly win over Sanford. So uh, I'm really, really curious. Will Dan Mullen keep his job? at the end of this year at Florida. They said they're not going to fire a mid-year. I mean, they got like, what, well, like two games left. So of course they're not going to. But uh, I I don't know, man. I, I don't know that Dan Mullen's going to survive this year. I, I thought that they kind of underperformed even with Kyle Trask last year at Florida. So uh, we'll see. Finally, uh, after week 11, here are the college football playoff rankings. You got number one, Georgia. Number two, Alabama. Number three, Oregon. Number four, Ohio State. Number five, you have Cincinnati. Number six is Michigan. And number seven is Michigan State. I'm not going to go any farther. After that, I don't care. I think it's like Notre Dame eight, something like that. And then Oklahoma State, I think is nine. I just don't, I don't know. I agree with the top four though. Georgia, Alabama, Oregon, then Ohio State. Those are the four best teams in college football. If you ask me, that sounds absolutely right. I would not include Cincinnati in that they have not dominated their bad schedule uh since he doesn't belong in my opinion i mean they they almost lost a two lane like i'm not i don't look at anything i i want cincinnati to make it i think it'd be kind of fun but i like they're a cool story they're not a great football program by the way it is weird i i mentioned michigan and michigan state i mean i said michigan won't get into the college football playoff i guess maybe they will i i'd, I'd be shocked if they found a way to leapfrog ohio state uh, I mean, I, I think Cincinnati would get in before Michigan would, uh, knowing what Michigan's resume is and probably will be uh, by the end of the year. I want to share a bit of commentary, though. I think it's very weird that Michigan is ranked ahead of Michigan State, even though they're both 9-1. and one, And Michigan State beat Michigan? Like, uh, what? Why? How is the team that beat the other one ranked Below the team that they beat? I don't know. It makes no sense to me. I don't really care, though, because I don't think, I I really think the Final Four is going to be Georgia, Alabama, Oregon, Ohio State. We'll see if Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC title game. That would throw a lot of wrench and stuff, but probably all that would do is put Cincinnati in and, you know, make it Georgia, Oregon, Ohio State, Cincinnati, and then Cincinnati would get their bell rung by Georgia in uh, round one of the playoffs. So yeah, uh, those are my thoughts after week 11 of college football. It was a pretty fun weekend and uh, more on college football uh, next, not next episode. I got, see, we'll be here on Friday. We'll talk more about college football uh, week 12. So anyway, I love you. I appreciate ya. This has been uh, my episode 413 of Strong Opinion Sports. Want to hear a fun secret? I recorded this episode like really separate from everything. I wore the same shirt to try to leave some kind of continuity. I recorded on Monday night about the Raven segment at the beginning of this episode. And then I was working Tuesday night trying to get everything done. And I was like, screw it. I'm going to record a Man in the Arena episode. So I'd already recorded. I'd already been like, welcome in. It's Strong in Sports episode 412. I had to go back and re record that. Be like, now it's 413 because the Tom Brady episode became 412. I know <laughs> I'm probably confusing everyone. It's been a weird time and I'm juggling a lot. I, uh, I don't know, man. I'm tired. I'm trying to sleep enough and make content. And I just, uh, I don't know. We got to ask Zach. I'm working on that later tonight. I love you. I appreciate you. hope you have a great day. But dum bum Bam! We are...